Welcome back to another episode of the Hogshead Podcast. I'm Ron Brown. Thank you for listening. Remember, you can check the podcast out on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Hogshead Pod. And tonight, I got two co-hosts. I got my man Kenny, who's always been holding it down on every episode. And then we got a, a new a new co-host tonight. We got Andrew. How y'all fellas doing tonight? Doing, doing well. All right, there we I go. I just want to say uh, welcome, Andrew, new to the cast. He's going to do a great job, guys. Oh, yeah. Now, quickly, give us a, a brief uh, background on you as a Hawks fan, Andrew. I became a Hawks fan around 2008 in high school when they took Boston to seven, and we had the infamous Zaza Pachulia quote, um, nothing easy, nothing easy. And that's obviously when uh, I started becoming a Hawks fan, and now I've been all in since since that uh, playoff series. You haven't been a fan as long as as we have, but I mean, you um you've seen some good Hawks basketball. So, I mean, it's all we all good, we all fans. We haven't seen any rings yet, so we can't officially call you a bandwagon fan or anything. But but I mean, all right, guys, the, the season uh, ended for us a couple weeks ago with the Hawks uh, losing in four games. Another sweep at the hands of the Cleveland Cavaliers. There's a lot of questions uh, with the franchise and a lot of praises as well. It may There are people who say we should blow it up. We should go in a different direction, maybe at point guard. Is Al Horford's tenure over as a Hawk? Kenny, what do you say to uh, those assumptions, or do we stay in the direction? Do we make some moves? Uh, of course, we'll talk about our offseason a little bit later, but kind of briefly – Looking at um, this past season, what, what were your thoughts? Well, the season was, as I said, during the midpoint of the season, it was bittersweet. We had uh, some success. I felt like uh, the playoff run was a little bit uh, better than I was expecting. I was expecting us to get to the second round, which we did. I was expecting us to lose to Cleveland, which we did. We did get swept, but I felt like some of the games were very competitive. I felt like they were, it was a more competitive series than Toronto, even though we didn't win a game uh, for Cleveland. And um, as for as you know, just our players in general, should we blow it up? Should we continue the basis? We're going to that a little bit later. But when it comes to Al Horford, most definitely we should keep him. He's a player that's been uh, I've mentioned numerous times in previous podcasts that he has exceptional value in numerous aspects that usually cannot be seen on the stat sheet, uh, whether it be plus or minus, whether it be um, his his performance with the first and second string, whether it be the fact that he does so many little things for us and pretty much we build our defense around him. And it's something that's not mentioned. We actually build our defense around Al Horford. And offensively, he does a lot of things that make our, our offense run, which is the screens, the pick and rolls, the movement. He does so many different things. So uh, unquestionably, we need to bring him back. The cost might be quite high, but uh, we'll get into that a little bit later when we talk about the offseason. Uh, what about you, Andrew? I mean, of course... This team wasn't as good as last season from a record standpoint. We had some changes, of course, with Ken Bazemore being inserted into the starting lineup. But, you know, looking at the guys we had and the season that we had, is this something to build on? Or, as I said earlier, is this something that we tear apart and kind of go with a, a, a new core with Schroeder and maybe Millsap? Or, or how does this team – how will this team look next season, do you think? Well, I mean, I guess you got to look at the salary cap here and what we're working with. So obviously this team's going to have, you know, one one more year together as uh, Jeff Teague's going to come off his contract next year. So um, to me, I think it's time to, to blow it off, uh, blow it up. And I think last season, the, the end where we uh, 
we're playing Cleveland in the second round, like um, Kenny was saying. We did great in the playoffs until we hit the Cavs. Um, we had all the pieces to, to make it a competitive series. We were in every game except for game two, obviously. Um, the only thing we really missed out on was a shot creator down the stretch. Um, you know, Teague, he's, his, he struggles from ankle problems. We see this late in the season every year. You know, we need, we need that guy that can create his, his own shot and uh, be that instant offense because down the stretch in those games, we, we lost all offense once the defense on the other side turned it up. But, you know, the Cavs, it, it is what it is. They're $38 million over the cap. It's hard to compete with teams that shell out that kind of money. You know, put an extra $37 million on the Hawks, which we're missing out on, and I think we, you know, if we put that money in the right place, we can we can beat Cleveland, and, you know, depending on what the West looks like, we could probably make a finals run. But that's all hearsay. We all know if the Hawks want to spend that kind of money, but every team in the in the NBA – um, every elite team in the NBA is over the cap by by a lot of money. So you know, for being the twenty second ranked salary cap in the NBA, I think I think we do pretty well for ourselves, and I think that that's the biggest factor we see here. Uh, that's funny you kind of mentioned that because not only is the money, but of course, I guess the money does buy talent, and we talked about that in the last podcast when it was just like Cleveland is just more talented than the Hawks, and, and the funny thing is, I guess it was, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. We run into the buzzsaw that's Cleveland, but say we played Toronto and we lost to them. That's still a you know a blow it up type scenario, wouldn't you say, Kenny? Just because it's a team that most Hawks fans and the Hawks themselves probably think they can beat Cleveland, uh, excuse me, beat Toronto in a seven game series. So I guess this point that we're at right now was going to happen regardless, unless we you know of course won the Eastern Conference. We stated this before in the previous podcast, and uh, please for those who haven't listened to. Please check out the previous podcast for Hawks at. When we lost Damari Carroll, we lost a big part of our our starting lineup production productivity as a unit completely declined, and it shows up on numerous stats. But more importantly, what really hurt us was even though Jeff T was still running the offense as he did in 2015, the difference was was the a lot of our movement off the ball completely dropped. A lot of of the, the flow of the offense completely dropped. So even though we still had the same mindset that we had the year before, our offensive efficiency and our offensive efficiency just dropped completely. And then on top of that, it was because we weren't moving so well off the ball, because we didn't have Carroll uh, moving well off the ball, which created a lot more opportunities and open space for Kyle Culver, we struggled offensively throughout the entire season. And that wasn't something that was just a first-half scenario. That was a second-half scenario as well for us. And we also talked about this before in previous podcasts, which is we're the worst clutch team in the NBA. And Paul Millsap is like the anti-LeBron. I, let me change that. He's the anti-Kobe Bryant or you know Larry Bird or whoever you, you have in your ideal of being clutch is. He's the anti-version of that. So those things, as, as uh, our, our other host mentioned, pretty much led to our dissension in the playoffs against Cleveland. The, the lack of, the lack of uh, finding a shot crater. The lack of having a closer, the lack of offensive efficiency, led to our downfall. So that so that brings to you that brings to the next point, which is I'm going to make very short and quick. Is what do we what so what are we going to do like as far as next? Jeff Teague, Dennis Schroeder, what is it? At this very point, our two-headed monster was very effective for us and it was very efficient. 
But what we have to go from here on is we have to think about it in the sense that statistically, Jeff is probably not as good as Dennis this season if you're just breaking it down statistically. But if you watch the tape, you can clearly see that Jeff was better than Dennis. So what has to happen is the house have need to receive an offer or a sufficient enough offer that makes it possible or reasonable for Atlanta to trade someone who runs the offense extremely well, understands understands assignments, understands positioning, understands consistency to some degree. And that's what we have in Teague over someone like Schroeder. And hopefully they can address one of those causes that we have issues with, such as having a number one option offense, or such as finding a closer of something of sorts. Well, I think you got to have that closer, that closer and that shot creator. Possibly, it has to be the same person, uh, because we're probably, we're probably gonna be looking at replacing Kim Baysmore. You know, as we kind of transition into talking more off season, but you got to replace Baysmore. You brought up an interesting point, which was. A, a second point guard. I mean, what made the Hawks good? Whether, you know, of course, T got outplayed by Schroeder a lot this season, and, you know, Schroeder was always 100% going hard, even if he made mistakes. But you you got to think about it. You got to have another point guard, and is that a, as a, a veteran who's been battle-tested, playoff-tested, could possibly be an option, or maybe another young guy. But, you know, that shot creator, that's a, a high-priority Another big man, possibly. You know, I like Chris Humphreys. We sung his praises uh, plenty of times so far. Would you like uh, Humphreys? What do you What are you looking at from an offseason acquisition standpoint, Drew? So offseason, um, you know, I like to move Teague and Corver. I think getting those two contracts off for for value um, would be very very strategic for us to do. I would I would have liked to see it before the All Star break, but. You know, it just didn't happen. Um, we all know we're not going to compete with uh, LeBron's team and the Cavs in, in the East unless we, we blow this thing up. Um, so with that being said, Teague and Corver to Philly maybe for one of their big men. I would like that. Um, my dream trade would be Teague and Corver to New Orleans for Ashik and Drew Holiday. And then we swap first-round picks as well to take a run after Buddy. Hopefully he's still on the board if that, that happens. And then, you know, let Al, Al go and see if we can grab one of those uh, cheaper off-season uh, free agent big men like Azili. He's restricted. Bismack, Al Jeff, Pau Gasol is restricted as well, but maybe taking a run at those guys. And uh, that would that would be, you know, the potential outlook for, for the free agency the way I see it, if, if we could do that. Option X, blow it up. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, oh, most definitely. That's most definitely the blow it up package right there. Because yeah. when you make that trade and make those moves, you are completely putting a different team on the on the um, on the court right there. So that that most definitely is option blow it up. I, I can most definitely agree with that. Uh, do you think you know a guy like Ashik will work in the system with the way it's built now? All five guys can stretch the floor. Is that kind of messing up the Absolutely. system a little bit? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, he's a he's considered one of the worst contracts in the NBA. Uh, I think he's making somewhere around like nine to eleven million dollars. It's, it's it's completely awful considering he gives you negative value. Probably one of the least valued play uh, players in the NBA if he was making two million dollars. But the fact that he's making nine to eleven, I think he might even make more. Now I have to check. But uh, with that contract, it's completely bad. Obviously, anybody who takes on him in that contract is pretty bad. 
And as far as Drew Holiday, there's a there's a big problem with Drew is the fact that he can't stay on the court. I mean, Drew this year this year uh, they had to have him on a minutes restriction in New Orleans, where and he even then he still had some struggles. So obviously, that, and I understand that the big value in uh, in his scenario is more so getting the the sixth pick, but I'm not quite sure a sixth pick is going to be enough to sway a team like Atlanta to trade an asset such as Jeff T. You know if they're going to have to take on a contract. And Atlanta, we have to remember, the organization of Atlanta truly believes that they do not want any bad contracts. Any bad contracts. That's, that's something that's critical. And even in a, even in option X as far as blowing up. And that's not even really an option from pretty much everything that we've heard so far. But uh, that kind of answer. I hope that answers your question. So rebutting on that, you know, I think Drew Holiday could be someone in 2016 to 2017 that – we could really utilize um, backing up Dennis Schroeder on the point guard or starting at shooting guard, plus his salary, his, uh, his deal ends in 2017, so we can get him off the books afterwards with the new uh, cap coming into play. Um, Omir is actually pretty reasonable with the inflation of the cap. I mean, you know what you're getting until 2020 with 9 to $11 million. So if uh, Bud could utilize him and keep him healthy, um, you know, I think that that would that would be a good way to give us some flexibility and an an alternative to signing Al Horford for nine extra million dollars. I mean, but I, I'm going back to Kenny's point with no bad contracts. Are you gonna pay a nine million, ten million dollar backup point guard, and is he willing to take that role? So, I guess that's my rebuttal to that. Well, if Corver gets moved, I mean, Drew Holiday would probably insert himself into the shooting guard position for the majority of the season. There's a lot of what is in your scenario. It's most definitely a you know a blow it up scenario in that case. There's a lot of what ifs in that scenario. But with that said, I do see some I do see some um some foresight to it to some degree. Like I said, the big value in it when what he mentioned is the six pick. That's the value. So mm-hmm. I think I think we want to focus more so on the value and not necessarily in the other parts that necessarily don't make as much sense. Yeah, but of course we know T is going to be a hot, hot commodity and hot, hot commodity actually on the open market just because of the, uh, you know, a few teams don't have point guards and the importance of a point guard in today's game with with you know every team, what three quarters of the league having good to great point guards, you know, leading their teams and we have you know two guys who can start. Um, I guess another point I want to bring up, you know, kind of talking offseason and, and team building, was uh, Kenny Atkinson being hired by the Brooklyn Nets. He was an assistant coach for the Hawks for the past few years, and he's known as one of the lead development guys from a player development standpoint. And do you think this will really hurt us, or can Bud, uh, you know, find another guy, or is that guy already on the bench um, to kind of take over and develop some guys, you know, take a Kent Bays more from a, undrafted free agent and a guy known for being a dancer. And, you know, he had a good little cup of coffee with the Lakers that really boasted his uh, free agent chances when he came here. But is there another guy on this one of the Hawks bench from a development standpoint that can turn guys from, you know, relatively unknown to 10, 10 plus million a year guys? Anyone y'all want to take? Go yeah, I'll take on this. Um, well, there's a, it's kind of like a two part question in the sense that you did mention Baysmore, but, uh, I would say first and foremost, Kenny Atkinson did a wonderful job in Atlanta. Ever since he's came in, he's he's already he was, he came in with a little bit more experience 
as far as NBA experience than Quinn Snyder. But what he did was he he really owned his his role. He did a great job as a player development uh, coach. He really his his big his big thing was wasn't necessarily just you know working with the players and you know being attributed to helping Jeff T get to the next level. But the big thing that he did that was so great is the fact that he worked really hard on work with the coaches to make the coaches get better. And that's something that doesn't go that, that goes unspoken about when it comes to you know to to the outside world when it comes to the Hawks. But our coaches really work with each other to develop each other. It's not so much of just developing the players that matter. It's developing the coaches. So he's done a wonderful job in that. He's going to do a wonderful job in Brooklyn. A1, A1 type of uh, personality. I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite so sure that I'm sold on his coaching skills. I've seen him coach the Dominican Republic. I've seen him coach, you know, some other teams as well. And I've just never, I haven't seen where I was like just thoroughly impressed with his coaching abilities. But I was thoroughly impressed with the overall coach that he is. So, you know, I wish him the best in Brooklyn. I do real I do realize he's probably going to get some players, you know, look at look at possibly getting Kent Bays more in Brooklyn. And I re- do realize that he's, you know, he's going to do so some of those things. And then uh just a just a side just a side part of the, your uh, your question on Baysmore, is he ready to be a 13 to 15 million dollar max player? I'm pretty sure he's ready in his own mind. I'm not quite so sure if the Hawks are ready to make that commitment for him at small forward. That's what we have talked about before. And even if we break down impact ratings, I mean, he's been, he's, there are certain impact ratings where he's rated 30th. Now, obviously, he does have a great value in the league, in the NBA, considering that he has a defined role. He's very athletic. He's young. And he's a 3 and D player. That is very hard to find. You do not find those guys. And the simple fact that he can guard both shooting guards and small forwards registers really, really well in the free agent market. Not too many of those guys exist. But there's a lot of other things that come with the game that he doesn't necessarily do as well. So, not really. <laughs> and, and another note on Kenny Atkins: if you if you're not familiar with him from Hawks perspective or any other team, um, he was on the Woj podcast, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, the Vertical podcast, a couple weeks ago. Kind of talked about his coaching journey and being a player at University of Richmond in the late '80s, and just uh, kind of things he's done uh, as a coach. It's pretty. Pretty um, interesting interview with him, and uh, you know, like like Kenny said, best of luck to Atkinson, to Coach Atkinson in the future, and I'm sure I'll turn he'll turn Brooklyn around up there with a uh, the little bit of talent they have. But I think they'll they'll, they'll turn around. So, um, uh, any any other thing before we uh, move to the draft, Andrew? No, I think you guys said it all. I do I do like Bays. I think uh, he brings some some electricity to the team that. We don't see much of, you know, I, we have low demeanor guys, I think, across the board. Um, and then Bays comes in and, and sparks it up. So, you know, I don't know if he's worth 13 to 15 mil a year, but, you know, we enjoy uh, we enjoy his time in Atlanta. And I think, you know, it's time time to let him go from a salary okay. standpoint. But, you know, it's hard. You know, we he's a fan favorite. So, yeah, I wanted to ask you, because, of course, we've talked about it every episode almost about Baysmore, who will probably – you know, get that 13 to 15, and it it won't probably won't be from us. So I was I was really want to get your take. Did you think he'll be back? But you kind of said it. It's time we let him go. I mean, of course he's he's leveraged his opportunity into 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 a big contract, life changing money. So it's to lose the Bays more. But I mean, let's switch it uh, to the draft real quick. Uh, the Hawks have three picks. They'll pick 21st, 44th, and 54th in the uh, upcoming draft. 
that uh, 44th pick was uh, from Washington Wizards um, as a part of the trade last year, I believe. But I did a little bit of research on those picks. The 44th pick historically has been uh, okay, um, according to Basketball Reference. Malik Rose is the highest-rated player uh, by Winshare. Of course, he played with the the Spurs most notably in the 2000s. It was a rugged power forward. And I think, isn't he a part of the – I think he might be in the Hawks organization right now. Yeah, he is. He's one of our assistant coaches. No, he's not. I don't, he's, but he's, in the, he's in the staff. I think he's in management, though. Yeah, he's okay. in management. Yeah, but, basketball um, operations. Yeah, Malik Rose. Yeah. So, you know, 44th pick may have some value. Another guy who we know, Mike Muscala, was a 44th pick. Back in 2013, so kind of. We projected. actually have a 30. We actually have the 43rd pick. 43rd. Yes. Okay, so I was. So I, I must have wrong information on that. Regardless. The 43rd pick, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think Mike Scott was a 43rd pick one year. Let's see. This is saying Houston, but regardless, around there, you kind of know what to expect. And then the 54th, a lot lower chances of having a good player. Sam Mitchell, according to Basketball Reference, is the highest rated guy. Of course, we know him as a coach, but he had a, a nice NBA career with um, Minnesota mostly and uh, Indiana as well. But got to kind of see what the draft holds from the 21st pick is kind of where we're looking to kind of find a guy who can make an impact, hopefully right away, or at least be a, a bench contributor from the wing. Uh, most projections have us have the Hawks selecting a, a shooting guard. Let's see, I have uh, NBADraft.net up right now. They have Patrick McCall from uh, UNLV. Not really familiar with him, but, you know, most draft, most mock drafts I've seen so far have him, have uh, the Hawks picking a shooting guard. Also the young guy from uh, Florida State as well, um, if, he, if he falls that far. So what do you all think draft-wise? Where are we going? I'll let Andrew start it off. So, you know, I've been doing light research on this, but the guy that stands out to me the most is uh, DeAndre Bimbry from St. John's. Um, he can play shooting guard and small forward. He's has a long wingspan. He's he's a highlight player, and he, he can be developed into a great defensive uh, force as well. And I think he could definitely back up for us, you know, contributing about 15 to 20 minutes a game in, in the next season. So, you know, Good solid pick. I would hate to see us draft a gigantic center in the first round like Thon Maker for development as we have uh, Eddie still in development. But, you know, looking for that shooting guard and small, small forward, just like you said. Yeah, DeAndre Bembry. DeAndre Bembry is uh, St. Joe's uh, in Philly, in the Philly area. So, actually not, so it's not St. John's. What about you, Kenny? What do, who have you uh, been targeting or... Which well, first, you first and foremost, I want to mention I was wrong. Uh, you were right. It was the 44th pick. I, I didn't realize that it switched when um, Washington didn't make the playoffs and Houston made the playoffs. It's, they switched spots so because they have the same record. But, um, yes, yeah, so, um, basically um, for us, this, this pick, or I think most picks outside of the, the third overall pick in this year's draft, most of the guys will come off the bench. This is a draft very similar to um, the old, the 2013 draft, the, the infamous Giannis, Dennis, and Gobert draft, where the best players all came outside the lottery. As far as as far as me, um, anybody that we draft at 21 isn't going to really play too much. They're probably going to be like close to third or maybe second to third string, 
if even sec, I don't even think we have a spot for them in second third, second string. Um, so the guys so I'm looking at, and I'm just going to name three guys that I'm, that I'm hovering over, is Torian Prince. I like Torian Prince because uh, he's multidimensional. He defends, he shoots, he's, he, he has 3 and D potential to, to do really well. He rebounds well. He has good energy. I mean, he's still he's still going to learn how to how to play in the NBA, of course. But uh, he has very, he has shades of Damari Carroll. People like to call him Damari Carroll clone, but he's not. But he he he's a little bigger than Damari in college. He's um he's been on the perimeter more than Damari. Damari when he came in the NBA, he was actually in the post. He was a four man. And but you know uh, Prince has been a three, so he's he's going to be prepared for that. Um, another guy I'm looking at is Cheik Diablo. Cheik Diablo is a guy that's uh, Six nine two nine two nineteen. Uh, he's a guy who's raw. He's a raw version of what I, of Kenneth Reed. He's not re- he's not ready yet. He's going to be someone that's probably going to play a couple couple years in the NBA, you know, the D League. But he's a guy that I, I like a lot. Uh, high energy, high motor, athletic, very long wingspan. Um, he really fits well in what and um, pretty much what what the way we play as far as long term. He's going to have to improve his shooting, of course, but he does have a little bit of – he does have a jumper. He just doesn't, you know, utilize it as much. And then um, I guess I have a tie for the last two guys. The last two guys are uh, mainly international, and one is uh, who, uh, Xiao Q. He's from um, China. He's 7'2 with a 7'7 wingspan, but he's really – he's rail thin at 218. He has a nice jumper. He's a um, – so-so athlete, he's he he can block shots really well. He rebounds well as far as in China. He he patterned to me. He he seems very similar to like you know kind of what you're getting from Porzingis. He's just not as you know physically. He's nowhere near as stout, and he's not even he's not as athletic either. He doesn't handle the ball as well as Porzingis. And then the the other guy that I have drawn with him is this guy named um, Isa Honier, and he's from France. He's a five. He's a six-five, 177 shooting guard. He does a lot well as far as athletically. Athletically, he's f- phenomenal. He's um, explosive. Gets off the ground almost as quick as Zach Levine. Now he doesn't get up as high or as far as Zach Levine, but he gets off the ground as quick as Zach Levine. Um, he's really good at, at making cuts. He he has a good. He has a nice clean jumper. He 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 shows a lot of defensive versatility. Now for him, he needs more consistency. He need, he obviously needs more weight. He um, he's, his handles and he doesn't have really good handles. He's just kind of raw at this stage of his career. But I feel like if Atlanta, but he he kind of fits that team mode, and I feel like he's one of those players in the same mode of a Dennis Schroeder, of a Giannis Antetokounmpo, who you know is a very high ceiling, but very very raw player. And he's a player that we can keep in Europe if we like, but. He's the type of player where I, I can see him next year being much better than he is this year. And then if he comes to Atlanta, we can just, you know, he'll blossom. But uh, he's obviously a D-League candidate if he came over, which he won't. He's a drafting stash. But uh, he's a player that I'm looking at. So those are the four players I'm looking at. So uh, most of the guys are development guys. And, and now that I think about it, all of our last few draft picks have been development guys, even looking at Lamar Patterson or – Mike Muscala, even though they're American players, they still didn't come over until, you know, I think Muscala was halfway through his rookie year. And, of course, Lamar Patterson was overseas all of uh, 14, 15. So 
I guess I'm not really kind of surprised that we, I mean, the way you're projecting us, and I won't be surprised if they do that um, with, you know, the dearth of guys that are ready to come and play right away, as you said, outside of the lottery. But, of course, there may be some guy who's just, who just flies on the radar and, and is just ready. Like a guy like DeAndre Brimbury is a junior, Torian Prince, a four-year guy. Some of these guys who played four years may, you know, that experience will really help them going into a more uh, experienced and a, a better team than these teams up here in the lottery. So, you know, we'll kind of see which direction the Hawks take. It's very important since last year we traded that pick, which probably could have been utilized. But, you know, we'll see. Maybe Tim Hardaway makes the jump. He played well towards the latter part of the season. Looking forward to seeing him uh, make some moves. Any uh, Anything else in particular you guys want to discuss? Or I'll give the floor yeah, to uh, the offseason. Hmm? The, uh, the offseason potential moves that we, we, can, we want to foresee in the offseason. Go ahead. Anything uh, in particular? Sure. I think um, it was mentioned. It was mentioned previously that uh, you know, you know, just the Drew Holiday, uh, Armer Asik, you uh, six pick trade. And uh, while that's not necessarily what I was going to share, but I was going to share that you know there there is trades to be made. And um, obviously, first and foremost would be uh, Tiago Splitters, a trade candidate for us this year. And why why do you say why do I say that? Because you know if you listen to the show you you've known I've always been a a big proponent of splitter of you know kind of the value he brings that doesn't show up on the stat sheet the fact that he's a great positional defender the fact that he's a great positional player in general the fact that when he's on the court we're a much better team and when we lost him we struggled until Humphreys came and even with Humphreys it still was inconsistent it wasn't he wasn't doing what splitter was doing for us as far as when it came down to the uh, the bottom line of helping us get, you know, production or impact, per se, because I'm an impact guy. I'm not a stat guy. I'm an impact guy. So he was a big part of a big part of that for us when he was healthy. And the reason why he's a trade candidate this year is because he's making $8.5 million next year. And while that's not a great a – that's not a big, a lot of mo- a big deal of money, but when you consider adding the 21st pick plus – Adding, uh, you know, the cap holes that we have in place, we're 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 due to have around six point five million dollars next year as far as the salary cap. I actually have the direct amount written here. Uh, yes, we have like yeah, around six point five million. So basically, with that said, we have very limited funds or very limited opportunities to really, you know, truly make a move. Much less, you know, sign someone like Baysmore back. So he's obviously a trade candidate, even though he does provide value for us. So. The type of trade that we're looking at in a minute is a trade where he kind of benefits. And if we want to offer him, we're going to get a pick for him. We're going to, if we put him on the market, we're going to get a second rounder guaranteed. Maybe I doubt we get a first, but we're going to get a second rounder because he's a uh, he's a he's still a top of the line backup center, and he guys like him who have championship experience who know how to play the game are just very very difficult to find. So what the type of trade I was I was thinking about, and not just you know. This is just a trade that I mean I, I saw it on Hall Squad. Well, I mentioned it on Hall Squad, which is a six-player trade which features Jeff Teague, Tiago Splitter, and Mike Muscala for Jaleel Okafor, um, Nick Stalkis, and the third player was um, the one of the Grant sons. Uh, I can't give his name right now. Jer- uh, Jeremy. Jeremy Grant. Yes. Mm, I, I, you know, I would love that because. Grant is uh, Jeremy Grant. I heard an interview with Brett Brown, and Brett Brown was just uh, 
discussion over him and his potential. Oh, yeah. Brett Brown loves him. That's why I don't think he'll probably be in the deal. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but you know, the, the bottom line is Atlanta's not going to trade, you know, Mike Muscala simple, that easy. They're not going to really just trade Tiago that splitter that easily because those guys still have value. They have, they, have, they have value to not just the system, but they have value to anybody who's trying to win games. I mean, those guys have – they, for overall, they have positive marks as far as if you look at if you look at the the, the numbers, you look at the, the the impact. Those two guys make a positive mark, and also they fit next to the core that they're trying to build in, in Philadelphia. So if you're Philadelphia, you're trying to build a core around Ben Simmons. What do you need? You need shooters. What do you, and so you know Muscala fits that mode. And then what do you need around Embiid? You want Embiid to become the best center in the NBA. Obviously, he has to stay healthy for that. But what do you really need other than not just having a a legit backup center to because last year their third string center when Okafor got hurt was Elton Brand. He, we all saw Elton Brand. Elton Brand sucks. So I mean, you know, no no offense to Elton. I love Elton. You know, he's retired now. But Elton, you know, you you were bad in Atlanta. You know that, you know, when you were in Philadelphia, it was it was the end of the road. It was, you know, it was Boys the Men for you. It was Motown Philly. And right. it was the blues more than it was actually, you know, hits. So 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 Drew, man, what what do you think about, uh, you know, any other notes about the offseason or anything that Kenny said? Well, I mean, like I, I was saying earlier, man, this, this whole whole cap situation, the most elite teams spend the most money. So we can go one of two ways. We blow this team up, try to rebuild something with young players and try to make a run at something late, later down the line in a couple seasons, or we re-sign Al. We also re-sign Bays. We see what happens next season. And see if, you know, Durant's looking at the free agency. Maybe we can lure him in. Uh, he probably won't come here. But, um, yeah, I mean, do we want anything to do with Dwight Howard? Do we want anything to do with Blake Griffin next season? You know, these yeah. are all just big questions. We, we, have to, we have to ask ourselves, do we blow it up, up around draft time to get a top pick to, you know, maybe have a superstar developed in Atlanta? Or do we go after a superstar? You know, it's just... Who's willing to come to Atlanta is, is the question. I mean, we can have someone very marketable here if they, if they come here. If Durant was in Atlanta, our, our, team, our franchise would become the franchise of the South. I mean, is the rap capital of the United States. Durant would be welcomed with open arms here. Our fan base would instantly skyrocket. So it's really about are we willing to spend the money? And if we're not, I say we blow up the team. If, and that's the way the Hawks have pursued it the majority of the time. I and mean, we have new ownership now, so we just got to see where it happens around the trade that time. If you know, we, we trade our assets like Teague and Corver, who have value, or uh, we, we keep the team in, intact and uh, keep Al Horford around. I, I like what he said. Andrew, what Andrew stated was you know, eloquently clear and it was well put that the Hawks uh, need to spend money. This year, I mean, if you, if you count, you know, Obviously, cap, all Horford's cap hold. If we sign him to the mass contract, which he's expecting to get, uh, our cap, our, our our cap will go to up to 100 million. So pretty much that pretty much means right now our cap room is 74 million. So we have 74 million dollars we need to spend before you know, obviously adding Al Horford. With that trade that I mentioned before, we would also we would clear we would clear around you know nine a little bit over nine million. And even if we don't get Jaron Grant and we just get like another draft pick, we would clear over nine to ten million dollars. So what that would do is it would give us money, fifteen million, to, to resign a base more. But what it also would do was it, it gives us the same amount of money where it can take where we can possibly do a trade for Damari Carroll. 
or even a Terrence Ross. Now, would you guys be obliged to that? Is my question to you. Uh, you can never have too many scores. Uh, does a guy like Terrence Ross kind of is he kind of the same type of player as a Tim Hardaway Jr.? I mean, that you you asking yourself that, and, and I really, I mean, I'm high on Tim Hardaway Jr. I think he may project into a starter, definitely at the two or the or the three for the Hawks, just with um, his physical tools, and of course he can shoot the ball, and just kind of getting rewired from coming from New York, where it wasn't much of a a system, or he kind of had didn't have many reins on him. So, you know, hey, if, and if Demari Carroll, we can reacquire him. I don't know if Toronto would want to trade him since he really wasn't healthy this year. Um, and, you know, well, here's here's the him. thing with Toronto's facing. Toronto's facing this. They only have literally six. They only have like literally four to five, four, no, like two to two to four million dollars of cap room. In fact, I think it's going to be less than that because um, they have they have like the ninth pick and they have like the twenty eighth pick or something like that. So they don't have any money, but yet they need to resign Biombo, and they want to resign him, and he wants to come back, but he wants to be well paid. And the market on Biombo right now is is going anywhere from fifteen to eighteen million. So my question to you guys is, Toronto is going to make a move to trade one of those guys. And I'm saying is, if those guys are available, would you oblige? I mean, I think after last year, we'd just be taking on the same contract of DeMar Carroll that we let go. There's a reason why we didn't bring him back. He's uh, he's too expensive for us. But like I was saying earlier, the, if we trade Teague and Corver away and have Dennis at the at the starting spot... You know, are we going to acquire a superstar free agent anytime? You know, are we, we have to understand that these in this um, CBA agreement, you know, free agents can pick anywhere they want to go, and they're going to pick where the best team is set up for them to win a championship. So, do we re-sign all of our guys? I mean, we're one series away from making the finals. I mean, if we beat Cleveland, you know, we have a coin flip in the Eastern Conference Finals to get to the finals. If we last year, if we um, if we made it competitive against Cleveland, we're in the Eastern Conference Finals already. We make it to the Finals. We are already one piece away from making a potential run at the Finals. Do we re-sign these players and try to lure in someone huge and spend that $25 million over the cap if, if we're willing to spend the money? To me, that's the only way I see the next one or two or three years of us making a run at the Finals. If not, if we're not willing to do that, blow the team up, let's reevaluate. Let's uh, have Bud and his coaching staff develop these young guys and see if we can make moves with uh, assets and trades down the line to make ourselves championship contenders. And uh, on on the last on the last point, that brings up a great point that we should talk about next next ep- uh, the next episode, which is going to be the uh, the draft special episode. Is where what where do we go? Is the development going to come in house from? Tim Hardaway Jr. like he came from Baysmore and like he came from Carroll. And um, also one other last point, just to touch on it, Carroll actually, the reason why we couldn't resign Carroll wasn't because it was a contract. It was because we didn't have his bird rights. So we only really had only option of choosing one or the other. We had to choose either uh, Millsap or Carroll. And, I mean, obviously we would love to keep both, but because we didn't have his bird rights and we didn't have Carroll's bird, uh, Millsap's bird rights either, we, we couldn't sign both of them. So it kind of our hands were tied last year due to the salary cap. Yeah, I, I think. Um, I mean, I I mentioned it before. I don't know if I mentioned it on a podcast, maybe through text or something. But I think maybe you you sign a a guy 
a young 23, 24-year-old who may be, you know, maybe a last shot in the NBA before having to have a career overseas. You sign him and turn him into a, a solid player, uh, kind of like a Bazemore or a Carroll or other guys uh, from the past few years. And and in that sense, it'll come out, out, of, out of house uh, with the improvement from a guy like that. I, I just think the system is built to turn guys like that into guys who can go to another team and make 10, 15 million, um, just like Carroll and Baysmore. You know, those are the two guys you put on the pedestal as examples of guys who develop well in the Hawks system. So, yeah. and I think that's that. a, that's something we should talk about in the draft episode is our player development. So, do we tailor our draft to player development? And also, um, and you know, Andrew, you mentioned a, a question that every Atlanta Hawks fan has. And I think we should also talk about that probably as well, which is, you know, how do we acquire a superstar? Do we develop one in-house? Can Tim Hardaway become a superstar? Can Dennis Schroeder become a superstar? Those are questions that I think a lot of people have answers. I mean, not answers, but questions for that maybe we can kind of lend a hand and say what we think they could possibly be. So that's all up in there. That's all, you know, there for, you know, Cantor. Oh, yeah. So, fellas, uh, as always, I appreciate Appreciate you all coming on tonight. Of course, we are in the middle of Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals. 71-60, Golden State is winning. So we're going to kind of get back to uh, watching that. Looks like Golden State may be going back to the Finals, uh, repeated last year. But um, you all have any social media um, outlets you want to plug or websites you all or anything you're involved in? I'll let our our new co-host tonight uh, go first. Go ahead, Andrew. Follow uh, the Rome Brown podcast that we're on right now. You know, subscribe to this. That's all I got for you. <laughs> yeah, Hawk Set Pod on Twitter. Um, I guess, I mean, of course, I Andrew's been on a few of the other podcasts I host, and he said he found us just by searching Atlanta Hawks on iTunes. So if you uh, use iTunes, search us there. Just uh, Google Hawk Set Podcast. You'll find our outlets where we are, SoundCloud and, and Twitter. So from that standpoint, that's where you can find us. Go ahead, uh, Kenny. Okay, most definitely. Uh, last but not least, uh, shout out to everyone that supports us as far as um, community boards such as Hawksquawk, such as thekali.com, uh, such as Facebook, even Twitter, people who follow us on Twitter. So thank you for following our show, listening. Continue to be loyal follower, followers. We appreciate it. And uh, until next time, Hawks is the best. We'll see you all next time. Uh, draft episode. So if you have any questions, uh, send those in, thehawkset at gmail.com, and uh, on the other outlets that we, we uh, informed you of before. Thanks for listening. We'll check you out soon. Peace.